0: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript the Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS in depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. Working to learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by CoachShip.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeShip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically. For fuss-free, continuous delivery, check them out at CodeShip.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgetmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 126 of the JavaScript Jabber podcast. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, there. Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have two special guests. We have Tyler Rennell. Hello. And Max
1: Lynch. Hello. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves really quickly? Go for it, Max. Sure. I'm the co-creator of the Ionic Framework. And also the co-founder and CEO of a company called Drifty, which makes Ionic in Madison, Wisconsin. Awesome.
2: And I'm Tyler Ranelli. I'm the creator of Habit RPG. And uh, as we'll talk about in this episode, my, uh, the, the mobile app for Habit RPG is built on Ionic.
0: Cool. So why is it called Ionic? Because it's the
1: only name that we didn't hate. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was the only unregistered name on the internet. Even then, we, we got ionicframework.com, so that wasn't even true. <laughs> oh wow so teach us about ionic what is it sure Uh, ionic is basically a totally web focused framework for building native style mobile apps so basically you can use ionic to put together an app that looks and feels pretty darn close to native but without actually having to become a native developer so it's really targeted at web developers who Uh, maybe are just getting into mobile or never really did mobile, or companies that don't want to have to put in the time and and money and build multiple code bases for different platforms, they can do that with Ionic. So
2: there's the whole hybrid app development space on things like PhoneGap and Cordova. And this allows people to cross-compile one code base to multiple platforms by simply using the web view of the mobile device you're on. So instead of having to write a mobile app for iOS and a mobile app for Android and a mobile app for Windows Phone. You use PhoneGap and you cross compile it down to all these devices. So it saves you a lot of time and effort. And then, like Max said, Ionic is the web UI framework for that so that it looks and feels like like a native ish app across those
3: different platforms. So I've never built a hybrid mobile app before. And I know lots of these tools work at different layers of of abstraction. So can you outline what the different tools do. So Cordova, is that the piece
1: that handles running your code on a web view? Does that make sense? Yeah, so Cordova is basically like, so what Cordova was, is was PhoneGap. And then it became the open source core when Adobe bought the company behind PhoneGap. And PhoneGap is a better name for it because if you think about that, there's this layer between uh, a browser and, and the actual native environment underneath. There's a gap. That's where PhoneGap fits and now Cordova. So it's basically a web view with really convenient plugin APIs for hooking into the native layer underneath for basically doing anything you could do with a native app. It's just, there's this uh, protocol for passing data back and forth from the native layer and calling native functions. That's really all it is. So historically, when people were building PhoneGap apps, they basically had to rebuild a native UI from scratch, which is a ton of work, um, and people would do it with varying amounts of uh, sophistication and success. So, I mean, we were really trying to normalize that, so you could just start with our UI kit uh, that had, like, gestures and animations and navigations for native apps, which is a little different than in a browser app, and so you wouldn't have to, like, hack all that together every time you build an app. So Ionic, then, is the UI layer that sits on
3: top of Cordova or PhoneGap or whatever.
1: Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect. I think we've we've started to go down a little bit into the stack where we also have a sister project we released called NG Cordova, which just makes it easier to use the native APIs through AngularJS and JavaScript. So we started with just the UI, but now we're kind of expanding up and also expanding down. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I've heard about that, but it'd be nice
3: to hear more about it.
1: Sure, sure. So basically using the native plugins through Cordova is pretty easy, but it's very vanilla JavaScript. So you don't get nice things like promises. It kind of just becomes like a callback mess. And because Ionic, I didn't really mention this, but we are pretty much 100% Angular focused. We wanted to make it a lot easier to like create services that you could mock, for example, test geolocation or accelerometer or bluetooth you could mock a service through ng cordova um, so you could test on the desktop and like provide fake data things that cordova didn't really have built in Um, so that's on the client side where we also have some tools for doing like live reload testing which we just released so you can do like run like a local live reload server and actually update your app in the app whenever you change code like actually running on the device which is pretty sweet that's further down the stack. And then going up the stack, we're actually about to release uh, a visual design tool for like drag and drop, building ionic apps, and then also some back end stuff like analytics in the next month or so. So the visual design tool, that's kind of the Xcode or the, yeah. I don't know what
3: it is for Android even.
1: Yeah, it's, it's more like, yeah, it's, it's not really meant to be an IDE, more like the iOS storyboarding tool, but much simpler. Okay, that's awesome.
4: So could you explain the relationship between PhoneGap and Cordova?
1: <laughs> yeah, this is, I actually wrote a blog post about this. Is that the one titled The Last Word on Cordova and PhoneGap? Yeah. yeah, evidently it's not quite the last word, but <laughs> <laughs> so PhoneGap was the, or well, Natobi was a company that made PhoneGap. And uh, Adobe bought that company and then open sourced the core part and that became Cordova, which is part of the Apache Software Foundation. So underneath they're both the same thing. But what Adobe has done with PhoneGap, which is very similar to what we're kind of doing now, is you can use PhoneGap proper and actually start to get into the Adobe-specific stack, like PhoneGap build, PhoneGap hydration. Those are things that are not part of the core Cordova project because it's just like an open-source core. And we're kind of doing the same thing as PhoneGap is with a slightly different focus, but with our own tool that uses Cordova underneath.
2: One confusion I have is when using Cordova CLI. So you can, you can build your apps with Cordova and then deploy them directly to your mobile device via USB using Cordova CLI. But there seems to also be a PhoneGap CLI. Does PhoneGap add additional um, CLI tooling or is it like an antiquated version and we should all be using Cordova?
1: Um, so it, it adds those Adobe services like PhoneGap build. I think you, so you can type like PhoneGap build you know, iOS or whatever, and it'll farm out a build to their servers and give you back like a binary. So Cordova proper doesn't have that functionality. Got it. The flip side of that is then you'd need an Adobe account, theoretically pay Adobe for the services. So just like a different strategy. So another, I think interesting point
2: on this whole hybrid mobile app space is that on any level there's like competitors. So on the web UI layer, so that's like the high level top layer stuff. It's kind of what, I think of Ionic, and you're probably going to hate me for saying this, Max is the bootstrap for mobile. But <laughs> when I say that and people say, well, then why would I want it? You know, I want a custom-themed mobile app. When I, and I take—I usually tell them, no, you don't. You want your mobile app to look native. Otherwise, people are going to know that it's a hybrid app. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when something looks or feels non-native, those apps will typically get poor reviews, a lot, especially if it kind of looks clunky. those If you kind of remember back to those jQuery UI mobile apps, in tandem with actual real mobile apps. And the jQuery UI mobile apps were kind of like just a redheaded stepchild for the company whose main property is the website. So you can always add custom branding by Ionic, of course, but you want almost all the elements to look native. And so it's, yeah, I always think of it as like the, the bootstrap for mobile UI, but unlike web where you want brand uh, a lot of custom theming and branding, you don't typically want that quite as much on mobile. But there's a lot of competitors in that space. So I think Ionic is the coolest one. But there's a whole bunch of others like Ratchet. And uh, Ratchet was the biggest contender for us at Habit RPG when we were comparing these frameworks. We came from a framework called Topcoat, which was a much, much more minimal, didn't do very much for you. Um, that's by Adobe. So I think that is kind of like the Adobe-sanctioned framework. Adobe the one who owns PhoneGap.
1: But Max, do you want to talk about maybe some of the competitors in the landscape? Yeah, sure. So Ratchet was actually one of the big, okay. So, well, jQuery mobile, which we're big fans of, uh, but jQuery mobile is really the reason why we wanted to build Ionic in the first place, mainly because we kind of saw like a a divergence in our values, uh, where jQuery mobile wanted to be something that ran on every phone out there, regardless of whether or not it was the new shiny iPhone. We wanted to be in contrast, kind of something that was going to run on faster phones and compete with the more like you know standard uh native stacks like ios and android so that was how we started compared to jQuery mobile but ratchet was kind of what we looked at next it was like okay these guys see that you can emulate a lot of the native look and feel and it's pretty good but we weren't happy with it because the project was very like the messaging and everything was all about prototyping your apps and this is something that i that really kind of bothered me because it felt like the taboos were still there, such that the only thing you'd ever do with a hybrid framework is prototype your native app. But we thought you could actually build a real full app using web technologies and make it like your flagship product. So we didn't end up using Ratchet for that case. And the code underneath was not really focused on actually being like a UI uh, SDK that you could build your application on top of. So And then Bootstrap, was, which is obviously awesome for No responsive website design, but doesn't really have much of like a native story for actually like making the app feel native. And there's all these like little things that people don't realize you have to do when you're building a hybrid app, like dealing with click delays with fast click, which there's fast click implementations out there that kind of get you some of the way, but miss a lot of important things like form inputs and keyboard issues. So we kind of realized like there was nothing comprehensive that was Open source that people could just use today that fixed all these little things, but was also something you could build a real application on top of and was going to stick around for a while. So that was really the genesis of the vision behind Ionic. I think those little things you mentioned at the end, like the click delay, are a very important piece of why,
2: a very important reason why somebody might use a mobile web UI as well. Sometimes when I see people getting into hybrid mobile app dev a la Cordova, they custom design their mobile UI because they think that they're going to get faster performance that way and more a, a better branding experience. But while they're building, they come across like all these little issues that you don't know until you hit them. So like one is, like you said, the click delay. And the way that works is uh, when you click on a mobile website, you have 300 milliseconds between which it's going to determine what, whether you click again for a double click. And after 300 milliseconds, it says, okay, it's a single click and it performs the action. But on a mobile app, that looks like lag. It doesn't look like it's waiting for a double click. And then another thing is scrolling is really slow on on the mobile web. And so Ionic gets around that by kind of like a hack, right? By loading it into
1: GPU. Is that how it works with a 3D transform scrolling? Well, scrolling can be pretty fast using like overflow scrolling. It's a little buggy, but on older iOS phone specifically, like the built-in scroll system wouldn't send scroll events while it was doing like the inertial scrolling, like maybe after you flicked it. Uh, and this is a problem because doing things like pull to refresh, or collection repeat, which is something we built to handle huge lists by only rendering like a subset of them that are visible. You can't do that unless you actually are getting events every time the page moves. Otherwise, it, it's going to look terrible. So we decided to use a JavaScript scrolling solution for the short term, uh, specifically Zynga Scroller, which was the best one that we've found. My hope is that uh, with iOS 8 and some of the new like Chrome on Android, we will be able to, to drop some of the, the JavaScript stuff, which uses GPU compositing through uh, WebKit transforms. I will be able to drop that and, and use like the, the native overflow scrolling. So that's nice. something that we've had to work around. So and the, the end result is all of these like little mini issues that you might
2: bump into in custom building a hybrid mobile app is they're all taken care of for you by a web UI framework like Ionic. And in the end, the app actually feels more performant than anything you could concoct yourself, you know, in a one-week project. The scrolling seems faster. And then, of course, Ionic has all of these widgets like slide-out menu and buttons and modals and popovers and stuff, and they're uh, streamlined to work uh, with high performance on mobile.
1: Yeah, actually the the side menu was one of the big like aha moments because I'd seen that UI a lot actually and I was I was spending time with the HipChat app and I was like playing with they had this nice side menu effect. I was like, I wonder if you could do that, you know, using JavaScript and CSS animations. And I built that and it was kind of the first demo and I sat there like playing with it because it felt so smooth. You know, if you use like WebKit transform translate 3d it's really really fast and i kind of looked over at some of the other things out there that weren't doing that and i realized like someone just needed to put this into like a reusable package that other people could use and it would be awesome then we started building ionic it's awesome it is as a tangent on the on the layer down the next
2: piece of the puzzle being cordova and PhoneGap, which is simply like you said it gives you native access to device capabilities but actually habit rpg doesn't even use device capabilities we just need a packager And what PhoneGap does, or Cordova, is it allows you to take your mobile web app, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, package it into a downloadable APK file for Android or whatever the equivalent of is for iOS. You can actually deploy it to the App Store, and you can use typical HTML5 APIs, such as local storage for offline access and all these things. So it's got all the capabilities of a native app. It's not actually like a bookmarked website or anything. And that's what... That's kind of the big thing that Cordova does for you is it just packages a an app so that it can download it through the App Store. But there's, there does seem to be some competitors in, on that front as well. I just listened to the episode on Chrome Apps, JavaScript Jabber episode on Chrome Apps. And there's a new project called Mobile Chrome Apps, which uses Crosswalk from what I understand is a forked Chromium implementation. So you have Chrome packaged with your downloaded app alongside the app itself. It adds some Some megabytes to the file. I think it adds another 20 megabytes to the file. But then the benefit there is that you get WebKit on all the devices with better performance and more standardization. Because I know that on Android, older Android devices, the default web view is very bad. It's very bad performance and it doesn't follow a lot of the uh, web standards. So Max, do you have any experience with mobile Chrome apps or any of the other? phone gap
1: competitors? I don't have a ton of experience. I think this is actually something that we are looking into on our end too, specifically because Android has been really, really not so good pre 4.4. And that's being really nice about it. Uh, So being able to use Chrome instead for the web view is a huge win. Right now, mobile Chrome apps, as far as I know, is still like very, very pre-release, not quite ready. Crosswalk doesn't have perfect interaction with with Cordova, but that's something that we've been looking into. There was another one and I'm trying to remember but it was really really like limited on iOS to the point where I don't even know why you'd ever use it and I'll try to dig that up but I think it's it's really important I think we're going to see much faster hybrid apps with Chrome coming on Android and that's something that we need to put into our tool chain for sure. Cool. You're talking about competitors, right? What about Xamarin? What do you guys think of Xamarin? Xamarin's awesome. It makes great apps. Um, they've got tons of people using it. Like, we're not trying to to kind of give you another thing to code in that really doesn't apply outside of the world of Xamarin. Like, the reason that we picked web technologies and AngularJS and HTML and CSS and JavaScript is because at the end of the day, it's the most accessible stack. You can have not only developers who know JavaScript, but you can have designers Building the app, putting the markup in, which has been one of the big dreams of Angular is just kind of separating that all out for a diverse team. I think that's gonna scale better long term. And so we're really putting our bet behind that stack and trying to be a leader there. But Xamarin's great. We definitely are inspired by them and they make our jobs easier by pushing non native or non you know default iOS and Android technology.
4: So are you saying that not everybody in the world knows C sharp?
1: Yeah, you know, it might not seem that way, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> C sharp is great language. But uh, I think at the end of the day, like it doesn't to me seem like something that's gonna be growing long term. Um whereas web technologies are increasingly you know growing strong. Like HTML5 is one of the top number of jobs on indeed.com. It's just quite a bit bigger.
4: Well I think it's also interesting, it speaks a lot towards what you guys are doing because more options are coming out where people don't have to build their mobile app five times. And that's obviously superior, right? But I would be interested to hear what your take would be on when is it time to not build a hybrid app? And even is there times when Xamarin doesn't cut it? Because I know Xamarin builds native apps, but I assume that there are times when building an app in yourself in Swift or, or directly on Android that customized to that platform is appropriate. Is, what would you say about that?
1: to be honest i think the the time to not go hybrid is if you already know those and you're comfortable with them and you like that technology stack i think it works for a lot of people if you are doing that kind of work like keep doing it i think from a actual like user experience standpoint there are increasingly few apps that can't be built in hybrid to have you know an equally great experience and I truly believe that. I think one area we're just not interested in, in at all that I think Native is still good for is games. With WebGL and all that, Like games are definitely going to grow on HTML5. But I think it's always been a space, even on desktop, where JavaScript hasn't had a huge impact. So that'll be interesting to see. But we just, we're not really focused on that. Right. right.
0: Are there any things that a hybrid app can't do? I mean, you talked about WebGL, but are there other things, other APIs that you know just don't get implemented or don't get
1: implemented well in a hybrid app? So I would say the answer is community-driven. Like from a technical standpoint, no, you can pretty much do anything. Of course, if you wanted to render a like native control, that might be a little bit annoying to do. But the thing is, you can replace it with like you know a CSS button or whatever you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. The problem and the th- the reason why. Cordova is important compared to things like Crosswalk is the API, the plugin API is there. We just need more people building, you know, that communication layer through plugins to do things like Bluetooth, Apple's new payment stuff, which they re- released today. The community has to step up and build those. And we need companies like us, like Ionic, to also invest time and money in actually building that stack out, which we're doing. Then you can pretty much do anything you want.
2: Now, I do want to call the elephant in the room that performance is a major bottleneck with hybrid apps. It seems that's all that's been a traditional pain point by both customers and developers complaining about HTML5 apps on HTML5 hybrid apps compared to native apps. And we've definitely noticed with the habit RPG app, it's a little bit less performant than your typical native app. And I've, I've gone through and downloaded a handful of apps across multiple competitors, Ionic, famous, AppGiver, steroids, th- those types of apps, and they all have the same t- sorts of performance issues by comparison to native apps. Do you want to speak to that, Max?
1: Yeah, sure. Definitely not, not avoiding that. I think it's, it's definitely true. It was more so true, you know, a year or two ago even, but has become not so much the case anymore. And I think with the new phones coming out, the new APIs through the browser, you'll be able to do things a lot faster. To the point where adding that abstraction layer on top, which is what Ionic is. It's what hybrid apps are. They're just an abstraction layer that will be, you know, no, you'll notice it a lot less and less, but there's some things that I really wish we were able to do faster. Scrolling is, is one issue. Um, just being able to have more power over scrolling and not having to have JavaScript scrolling to get some cool effects like pull the refresh. That will make the app feel faster. I think giving up a little bit on the way we used to load content dynamically will make apps feel faster. I think people are still in the habit of, oh, you know, I just write my web page, I put it in Cordova, but I'm downloading everything from the web. That is something that native developers don't do because their UI is more baked into the app. But you see it all the time with hybrid developers. They're loading jQuery from the CDN. You know, they're pulling images as if this was, you know, on the web. And I think that has an impact on perceived performance. So there's, there's definitely ways to go. Having more control over memory management is going to be important um, because I think over time, like not having that control means the apps kind of get a little sluggish if you've loaded a lot of stuff and holding on to memory you shouldn't be. But that's a problem in a lot of languages. Mm. Before we leave,
2: competitors, do you want to talk about Famous or Steroids?
1: Yeah, sure. I think they're both awesome. I think we've got, like, a lot of people compare Ionic and Famous, which I don't know how close they are to be compared, but I think Famous is great. I just, I personally don't have the same vision that they do. I want to see... So Famous is all about using WebGL
3: to run to your apps, right? That's my um, outsider's view of it. I haven't I, used it, but I feel like I've heard something about that.
1: From their public... Messaging. I think they're interested in having kind of a generic API that could target WebGL or Canvas or DOM as the output, because at the end of the day, it's just drawing surfaces or rectangles on the screen, and then transforming them with matrix 3d math and, you know, physics engine underneath. So the plus side of that is, it's a little gentler on the DOM, because you're just, you know, basically rendering a flat hierarchy of rectangles. The downsides are, you have to build the UI in JavaScript. Essentially, I mean, there's ways to kind of get around that, but then the the programming model is a little more 3D oriented, and it's it seems to be a departure from the way you would normally build a web app that is accessible not just to JavaScript developers but also designers and things like that. So I just it, I think it's awesome, but I'd rather invest in browser technologies that are a little more familiar to people. So that's what we're trying to do with Ionic, and I think over time the browsers are going to get better. The DOM is going to, you know, hopefully gain back some trust from <laughs> from the rest of the world. It's, it doesn't deserve all the hate that it gets. And I think that would be the best way forward. They recently did release an Angular extension, which is getting a lot of popularity.
2: So you can actually write familiar-ish DOM style um, UIs, um, markup mm-hmm. style UIs anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's super cool. So I'm
0: kind of wondering, I'm going to change gears a little bit here, but How do you deal with the cross-platform stuff? And there are two angles to this. One, we kind of talked around a little bit with the UI, you know, looking different between the two. And the second one is they provide different mechanisms for things like persistent data and stuff like that. So how do you handle that where, you know, you have core data on iOS and you have other mechanisms on Android for managing data?
1: Well, from a UI standpoint, so we started basically targeting iOS 7 because... That was the new hotness back then. Everyone wanted that kind of simple look. So we, we built the UI kind of around that. But over time, we've expanded to do some more Android-friendly things. Like if we detect you're on Android, by default, we'll left-align header titles. We will show tabs that have a striped top rather than just looking like iOS. Uh, it's a little detail. Um, and also the scroll behavior changes so it's not bouncy like on iOS. And then we have a few different animations. And that's all configurable. And we have actually worked with the JS team on material design so to hopefully bring a much better Android story for UI into Ionic. Um, that's not quite ready yet, but it's in the works. In terms of the data stuff, that's really down at the Cordova layer. Like the file system plugin in Cordova handles this. And basically you save files and it correctly saves them theoretically, on the platform of choice. So that's kind of a plug-in abstraction.
0: Right. And what about Android? So if I want to cross-compile it to both, does it do the same kinds of things for look and feel for the Android as well? Or do I have to say, I want this look and feel for one and this look and feel for the other?
1: By default, it'll automatically, like, transform it on Android to adapt, like, kind of how I mentioned to those specific features. But you can tell it not to. Okay. So if you
0: have, like, a custom design, whatever.
1: Yep. And that's, that's something that we wanted. Like, we really weren't trying to just clone the native look because, you know, the best apps out there are designed to have their own brand. They're more custom. But some of those little details, I think, are important to kind of just make people feel like this is a little more more familiar. So we're definitely not trying to just clone the UI. Right. So this is kind of a random question. Would
3: you ever use something like this for things that aren't specifically mobile web? So say you want to target, I don't know, you're doing some responsive design, so you want to make sure your your website works well on mobile apps as well. Can Ionic help with that at all? Or is it specifically for packaging up apps and installing them on phones?
1: Yeah, I know it can, and people are using it for that. And honestly, like when we test and we develop anything in Ionic, we're basically testing in like iOS Safari or Chrome or, you know, Android browser, the actual mobile web browser. So, that's like a first-class citizen. The only thing that's tricky about that that we've kind of the, the reason we're focusing on hybrid is it's a little cleaner for our development tools. We can say, okay, run this command, you get an app. It's a little simpler. But some of the things like side menus, which we push as a great UI feature, don't work right in like a mobile browser like Chrome where when you swipe from the side, Chrome actually takes over. And switches your tab, or Safari will go back in history, that makes it a little harder to control the app experience. And we just didn't want to make concessions just to to work on, on mobile web and hybrid. But tons of people are doing it. It works great. That makes sense. So
0: as far as I don't know if I got quite the answer that I was looking for with the cross platform thing. So how do you manage things like data storage or data management and things like that, where you have different mechanisms or different frameworks on the different platforms?
1: So the, I mean, the idea with the, with the plugins is as a developer, you know what you're trying to do. Like, I want to save this file and I want to read this file back or I want to, you know, save this JSON blob and read it back later. That abstract concept gets translated in through the plugin to do the correct thing on iOS okay. and do the correct thing on Android. So if you really, really needed to go in and say, okay, this is only on Android. I have to do this really weird thing. There's a slight possibility you might ha- actually have to write your own plugin to do that and just call your routine, which we'll call the native code. But that's kind of why these plugins exist. It's just an abstraction to do something simple and make it work, you know, just work. But if you need to dig in, you can. That makes sense.
2: If you guys are cool with that, I'd like to talk about how Habit RPG uses Ionic because it, I think it'll speak to what the big benefit of using a hybrid framework, where that really shines. Mm-hmm. So I haven't talked about it yet. Habit RPG is a video game for improving real-life habits. So it's like a gamified habit improvement app. And it started off as a website, and we're using AngularJS. And because we're using the full stack JavaScript stack, we're using Angular on the front end, Node Express on the back end, and MongoDB, we're able to share a lot of code between the different properties, whether it's the client or the server. We use a module called Browserify, which converts server-side JavaScript code to client-side JavaScript code. The obvious place where that comes in is like uh, model validation and stuff like that. It's a little, a little less obvious some of the other locations, but about eighty percent of our code is in that shared common repository that's able to be used on both platforms via Bower on the front end and npm on the back ends. So it saves us a lot of time and effort because we just have we don't have to replicate code in multiple locations. So one of the big reasons we picked Ionic was when we were evaluating its competitors like Ratchet. Well, one, Ionic has just a lot of steam going behind it. It's getting a lot of press and popularity, and I, I see it really picking up. But two, it's based on Angular. Um, it uses Angular underneath the hood. And so we're able to reuse that talent. Amongst our developers, so Habit RPG is open source, all the properties, we have a Chrome extension and a mobile app, and then the website. So the developers of the website can just hop over to the mobile app and fix a bug or add a feature without having to switch context, because it's just all Angular. And we're also able to utilize that common lib, that Habit RPG shared repository, so that we can reuse all those functions on mobile. So our mobile app code is very slim. There's not a lot of code in the mobile app. Because most of it resides in that common lib. But because Ionic is built on Angular, another big benefit is we're able to put directives and services and other such things in our shared repository as well. So like by far and away, the majority of our code base resides in this common lib. And then if you fix a bug on mobile, you get that fixed for free on the website, which saves us just a tremendous amount of time and energy. So you're able to reuse talents, the talent of your developers without having to have them know multiple language or switch contexts and then share code across your different platforms. And so that's, that's just a, a good example of how Ionic or a hybrid app can be really beneficial by comparison to making a native mobile app.
4: So one of the things you said interested me. You said that it uses uh, Angular under the hood. Do you have to know Angular in order to use Ionic?
2: I don't think you don't really have to know it that well, but it's going to benefit you substantially to know it. You probably have to know less Angular to build an Ionic app than building an Angular app. But I don't know. What do you think, Max?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it certainly helps, but we're noticing a strange thing that I don't think we expected: that people are using Ionic to learn Angular. And hmm. I think I think mainly just because it's very like it's very obvious that if you do this, this happens, and you actually get something real at the end. Whereas like. Things like to do MVC and like starter projects with Angular. It's, it's hard to say like, okay, I want to build this thing, but I don't really know how to get there. And then you have to learn every Angular feature just to write like your first directive. So this is something that we're going to be investing a lot more time into is kind of teaching Angular because it's important for getting people into Ionic and making them successful, but doing it through learning Ionic and kind of just broadly touching some of the Angular features underneath, uh, and then digging in later, but. Yeah, it's been really interesting.
0: I'm kind of curious. I mean, obviously, if you're building a framework like this, you have to stay up to date with the latest APIs provided by the platform. So when a new version of Android comes out, when a new version of iOS comes out, you've got to be up on that stuff and, you know, make everything play nicely with the new way that things work and the runtimes on the back end when it compiles any components that it does. What's the lag time and what are the challenges with a setup like
1: that? I'm not quite sure I fully understood that question.
0: So, for example, if it's a hybrid app, some of it's going to be web. Some of it is going to be connect to the camera to do awesome stuff or connect to the GPS or connect to the gyroscope or whatever, you know. So you have all of these different features in the phone. And sometimes when they update things, they actually update the framework or they update the runtime, you know. So when you have those... components in your application they're running native code in order to do that stuff and when they change that how much work do you have to do in order to keep it all happy and playing nice and up-to-date
2: so that that's the job of cordova interacting with the device and its native capabilities um, is the job of cordova owned by
4: uh,
2: adobe so that's so you got to make sure that you have the distinction right between there's two layers of a hybrid mobile app one is just the packager it just turns it into an, an app and then gives you devices, native capabilities, access. And that's what Cordova does and its competitors. And then one is making it look and feel pretty. And that's what Ionic does. So one is like the, the core stuff and then the other is the pretty stuff.
0: So does Cordova yeah. ever change their API?
2: That,
1: yes. That you have to deal with? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. There have been a few recent ones that are pretty dramatic. Like there was a change in the file system plugin recently. Or not, not quite like in the last few months, but earlier this year. It happens rarely. They did a bigger point release where some things changed. And frankly, it was for the better. And I admire them for making hard decisions like that. But that's sometimes something you have to look out for. And we have a growing community through our ng Cordova project, which is basically Angular wrapped Cordova plugins where we have a lot of people. There's like 30 plugins on there, Cordova plugins. A lot of people are using it. The project has about a thousand stars right now. On github so we're kind of hoping that like through that project we will you know kind of smell smoke before we see fire with any of the plugins just based on people using them all together uh but yeah that that sometimes happens
0: so do people ever wind up upgrading cordova and then having their app not work
1: yes it it seems to be less of a problem now but historically has happened unfortunately on that happy note (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, so mean, like to- I mean the same things happened with ionic too like oh, we sure. we did a lot of things and we were like all right we can't go on living like this like this one feature just has to be broken in order to make everything better and honestly i think if you look back at some of the other competitors in the space one reason they failed is because they failed to kind of cannibalize or, or like you know kill off the things that were broken in order to focus on the, the future. So we try to be like we try to be sensitive about that, but at the same time like we want to be able to make hard decisions if it's really going to make it better because otherwise someone else will do it better. So what what have you learned
0: that's interesting about all of this in working on this project?
1: We've learned a ton. To some extent we actually so we started our company building visual design tools. So if if any of you are familiar with a product called Kodica.com which was a jQuery mobile drag and drop tool. And then Jetstrap, which is a Twitter bootstrap tool. We built both of those. So in a sense, we were actually kind of cannibalizing Codica by building Ionic because now it uses jQuery mobile underneath, which is great, but it's not, you know, we, we're pushing Ionic now. And I, th- I think you just have to be okay throwing yourself under the bus every once in a while. If you, if you've got a bigger vision, um, that's really what we've learned. So we try to like look out for new things that are going to change everything and be open to them. And I mean that's what we've learned on that side. we've we've learned a ton running the open source project, which I'd be happy to talk about as well. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I mean it, I guess it's kind of an open-ended question, but so yeah, the project right now on GitHub has I think ninety one hundred stars. So I think it's like the seventy second not that I'm counting, uh it's the seventy second most popular <laughs> projects on GitHub right now. Um and it's been growing. So that's been been incredible. We've we've had a lot of, you know, people contributing and I think uh if i had to like say one thing that's been the most the the best investment of our time has been building tests and building a testing infrastructure i think the product has over 800 unit tests now and we've built systems to do like screenshot comparisons where if we change some css it will actually go and run multiple like screens and compare them to like an older git commit um and what it looks like because regressions we're just like, when, when we started, we were moving really quickly and we were breaking a lot of things. And regressions were the number one reason why we were like losing sleep at night. Like, you know, oh, is this thing going to break everything tomorrow? It was just very, very stressful. So we took some time and, and actually started to invest a lot more in testing. And I think that was probably one of the best decisions we could have made. It also helps get people feeling comfortable to contribute because if you make a change in a project that's open source and you actually have a test to show that it works you're going to be a lot more comfortable contributing whereas if you go and you look at ionic and imagine it didn't have tests and you're like oh i'm going to change just one line of javascript in this you know 1000 line file that's doing something with navigation you know i think it works here's my pull request that usually fails and i think people end up not liking to contribute if there's no tests so those are some of the biggest things we've learned
4: you are now my new best friend max i love hearing that <laughs> So I have to ask
0: this, just a business question. <laughs> so if it's open source, um, make,
1: how do you make money? We Our plan to make money, and, and our company still makes money from other products, uh, is really to focus on back-end services and add-ons like analytics. So when we look at like the mobile space, we think that the front-end, the UI, is a commodity, and it, you can't charge for it. I think long-term trying to have like a premium version of a, of like a UI framework just doesn't make sense because, you know, people don't value buttons, you know, like a button should, it needs to be free. So our, our goal is just to get tons of people using our components into our development stack. And then we can add on valuable services, which we're about to release in the next month or so for analytics, A-B testing, things that really integrate well into the mobile UI in a way that like You don't really see right now because there's a lot of companies trying to solve that problem, but they don't know the UI that you're using because they're too abstract. Or they're focusing on native apps, which are a lot harder to dynamically change because the UI is not, it's like basically binary code. So we're going to do some really interesting things. A lot of fun Angular directives and services involved. I think people really like it. We're still like early on that, but we are going to be charting for some of that stuff later this year. Very cool. I have a totally unrelated question. It seems
3: like you've bet pretty heavily on Angular. Is that something that you ever see changing or is Ionic tied pretty tightly with Angular?
1: I'm very, very excited about Angular long term. I think if you look at the front end framework wars, you know, I, I think there's some great projects out there, but I think people misjudge how popular Angular is. It has really blown up. It's growing like considerably faster than a lot of the other alternatives. And like companies have picked it in a way that I think is a little unprecedented. I think maybe the last time that, you know, like a developer at a big company was told to use a front end thing, it was probably jQuery. So you're seeing that now with, with Angular. And so I think it's going to have some staying power. I think when you look at some of the upcoming web component stuff in Polymer, they don't solve necessarily the same problems Angular does. So I think you'll see Angular adapting to use those APIs underneath to just, to just have a better, you know, developer experience top to bottom, but still letting you build complicated applications with all the, you know, dependency injection and all that stuff we've come to, grow, to know and love. Uh, Angular is still going to shine there and people, it's just going to keep growing, I think. So, there, I mean, one other reason we picked it is because, you know, doing documentation, doing tutorials, education is enough work already having to do just angular like the thought of having to also do ember react just makes my head explode yeah i mean i i agree
4: with you obviously on the uh popularity thing in fact somebody should do like an angular podcast well that would be really cool (laughs) that would be
0: you know i actually own the twitter handle angular podcast to you maybe there's an idea there chuck yeah maybe
2: the the joke being that chuck runs an angular podcast called adventures in (laughs) angular
0: yeah we should get you on there tyler (laughs)
2: <laughs> the joke being I
1: was on the last one. So these guys are sick of hearing from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sound like a broken record sometimes with Angular, but it's just an incredible movement and we're huge fans. Like I love it. Like, and, and I've, I've done some work like built projects in backbone and jQuery and then built the same project from scratch in Angular. And I have felt very closely like the benefit of doing it in Angular. Actually, one of our things we're releasing soon, which is a, Another drag and drop tool for Ionic called Ionic Creator that is built in Angular and like the time it took to build it was like two months and it had more features and it was faster and it worked better and had fewer bugs than the one that took like six months with jQuery and Backbone, um, which was not maintainable at all. So those little things kind of make me a super fan.
2: I think you're right too that you were saying that many of the projects out there won't necessarily be competitors to Angular going forward. Like, I've already seen implementations of, or, or discussion of implementations of Polymer on Angular. I've seen React as the replacement for the views component of Angular. So it's kind of like this rolling snowball that's like, it's, it's not competing with the other frameworks, kind of like gobbling them up as it goes along. <laughs> but, um, I'm seeing a lot of integration with Angular because it's, so modular amongst the other projects out there. I mean, the only like true competitors to it that I can think of would be like Ember. I think a lot of the other ones like Backbone are a little bit, dare I say, antiquated. But Ember is it's still major contender.
1: Yeah, I think having like the community building things for Angular, kind of like with jQuery, it's like it gives it a lot of staying power. I mean, jQuery is obviously huge; it's still huge. anything you could ever want to do in your site, like you can find a jQuery plugin for it. So I think Angular is definitely seeing that and that will keep it sticking around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So are there
0: good resources or tutorials for people who want to get started with Ionic?
1: The best place to go is just ionicframework.com and then go to the getting started button. That'll kind of guide you through like installing the SDKs and everything. And then our docs page walks through all the components and some of the different things you can do. But when you actually start a project from the command line, you get like a working template. And then we have a Learn site, which is learn.ionicframework.com that has tutorials on doing common things in Angular and Ionic, like taking pictures from the camera, integrating backend services. We have some articles there uh, that you can read from, and we're going to be expanding that pretty aggressively in the coming months.
4: I'd also like to uh, chip in here that Steve Michelotti just published a tutorial on Pluralsight on using the Ionic framework. So it's three hours of video there, which I think is just long enough you can do the free subscription if you're not already a subscriber and watch the tutorial. So that's pretty cool to see a lot more resources like that coming up. I also have a related question um, of what you think of teaching people to program using Ionic. And at first glance, that may not sound like such an amazing idea, because it's so many tools in place, but on the other hand, when you want to get somebody into development, what you want them to do is build something that they think is cool, because sure, that here. will get them excited.
1: Right? Definitely, yeah, I dream a lot about that. I think we could do a much better job. But what we saw with our other like drag and drop tools, like specifically Codico, was. A lot of people were using it for that, but we were not really like cultivating it. So that is something I want to do going forward: is being a little more accessible to people that don't know Angular, they don't know how to code, which I think our creator tool, which is coming out soon, will help with, um, because you can build, you can like drag a button in, drag like you know different mobile components, and get a project basically that works, like it's a it's a real app when you're done though it doesn't have like a ton of logic, but you can add later. That's something that we want to do. um, But we hope that the community can step in because we're not professional educators. And it's not like a strong suit of ours. So we just want to give people tools so they can do that. And hopefully the community will kind of rally around it.
4: So FYI, my 16 year old daughter is learning to program going to a program at high school where she does three hours a day of programming and I took her to a conference and we went to an Ionic class and she got really excited about building a mobile app so I've been trying to take some time and started trying to start teaching her PhoneGap and I want to teach her Ionic as well that sounds amazing
1: <laughs> is there a rough well, ETA on Ionic creator yeah I mean it's getting very close for the first version probably start inviting people slowly by the end of next week but you know that you know how things happen. Deadlines <laughs> slip, so <laughs> we'll see. We'll see.
0: Is it going to be like IonX code or something?
1: Yeah, but hopefully much, much easier to use and not designed by <laughs> Apple. <laughs> I
2: think that's that's a really good question about potentially having people learn by means of Ionic. My girlfriend just started doing Code Academy. She's trying to learn coding. And she's learning HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, and she's just getting overwhelmed by all of these languages at a low level, not understanding what their purpose is. So I said, let's instead switch over and create an Ionic app together, because then she could see exactly you know, what she's doing, and then dive deep if she wants to learn the specifics of something. But this Ionic creator project looks like it would be a really, uh, really good step in that direction. She, Teach people to code by letting them build a, a real mobile app, and that's what everybody's building these days.
1: Yeah, I, I and I think like the sense of accomplishment you get when you actually have something real to show is uh, really important. So we we want to do more than what we're what we're doing at, at uh, work now. Is any new hire we have them their first project like before they get in anything else for the first two weeks is they actually build a mobile app. And uh we want to do this for everyone, not just uh engineers. So I think Ionic should absolutely be accessible to people who don't know how to code. And I think we're going to get a pretty interesting perspective into that once we hire a few more people who maybe don't have strong development background. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it's a very honorable goal. And it's hard, but I think we could help there.
0: So simple, your accountant could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to pick a career path where it's like, yeah, those guys are freaking smart. But anyway, so is there anything else we should know about Ionic?
1: You know, I think give it a try. The team's growing, so we so there is a company behind it. I think sometimes people don't always realize that. But uh, you know, we are a team of fifteen people based in Madison, kind of spread out around the country with a few remote people, and we're, we're going to be growing here some more next year. So Ionic's going to get a lot of love, and we're looking for people who want to help, you know, contribute or help test or building cool things they want to show us, which is sometimes tricky in open source, is getting people to, to share some of the things that they're building. So we want to see more of that, and that's all I got on that.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks then. Jameson, do you have some picks for us?
3: I don't have any picks. I'm taking a pick break today.
4: Joe, do you have some picks for us? Pick break? Whoa, 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 whoa. There's no such thing as a pick break. Sure, there is. Just don't ask just him like, what he was picking.
3: Pick the thing that is on my left because I'm looking around. <laughs> Frantically for them. All right, my first pick is going to be jameson dance. <laughs> oh jeez,
4: because <laughs> jameson is so awesome. Nobody so far has been awesome enough to decide not to pick anything
3: <laughs> since what I've a been a conscientious here. objector to pick.
4: Sometimes. Yeah, it's like a, oh. <laughs> it's like a sit-in. jameson's having a sit-in.
3: Yeah. Okay. Here it is. My pick is consume less information because you're trying to do too much. It's the okay. anti-pick.
4: That is usually true. (laughs) I like that. That's a nice pick. Awesome. Good pick, Jameson. Is that (laughs) it? Thanks. Okay. Well, I'm going to pick that course on Pluralsight just because it's a great way. Videos are a great way to learn things. I love learning through videos. So I'm going to pick that Pluralsight course on Ionic. And I'm also going to pick a board game. There's a ThinkGeek board game called Robot Turtles. You can only get it on thinkgeek.com apparently. And it's a board game for kids and it teaches kids to program without them understanding that they're programming but it teaches the basic constructs of looping and typical logic constructs that you use in programming all through a board game that you can play with your kids about robot turtles so i'm going to pick that as my second and uh final pick
0: all right so as many of you may or may not know i don't have a full-time job i work contracts freelance but i'm actually ramping up to start a video series on ruby on rails Anyway, that that's kind of a side tangent. Uh you'll be able to find it at railsclips.com once it's up. I kind of got this inspiration for some of the things that I want to do with it from a service out there called lead pages. So, if you're into freelancing and you're trying to do marketing lead pages is really awesome. You just go to leadpages.net and they have a webinar there that uh, walks you through a marketing plan that I think is awesome. So, this is much more along the lines of people who are out there trying to do marketing or build products and, and sell them. Anyway, it's, it's a service that I'm really looking at. The other thing that I want to put out there just for our listeners is that I am really interested in doing some webinars and maybe some Q and A sessions. So if you're interested in some live Q and A sessions, I'll see if I can get some of our past guests or current panelists to be on the show or to be on the Q and A with us. If you're interested in something like that, let me know and I'll put, put something together. So yeah, so those are my picks. Nothing direct there other than lead pages. Max, what are your picks? I have to say I uh, love that name, man. Max? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good name. I agree. You're a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> this was picked before, but I just want to give another shout out to Habit RPG. I run into people all the time that are uh, using it to kind of enforce good habits, with their, especially with their kids, and that's awesome. It's been Aww. a great success hey, with Iannick. Beyond that, from a developer standpoint, I've been using just randomly this tool called Postman, which is a Chrome extension that makes it really easy to test REST APIs, but also like save, uh, you know, uh, requests that you've done in the past, which is very helpful because sometimes it's annoying. And then one other thing, because I said I, you said I could have three, so I'm having three. You can have <laughs> mine if you want more. <laughs> no, I just got one more. Npm-stat.com is is been something I've been using a lot, mainly just to track like downloads of our npm tool ionic. Um so it's a great way to like see how many people are using npm packages over time like downloading and installing them. Some fun graphs, totally free. So npm-stat.com is my other pick.
2: Awesome. Tyler, what are your picks? All right, I have been saving this since I started listening to JavaScript Jabber since its inception, hoping one day I'll be on to do some picks. So anybody who knows me knows my favorite thing in the entire world, it's called workflowy. It's very simple. It's just hierarchical note-taking app and to-do list. But what you don't realize is how valuable hierarchy is when you're taking notes or jotting down to-dos. It'll organize your life so well. I've been using it for like three years or something, but it's it's made my life so much more organized. It's called Workflowy. The other one is Quicksilver or Alfred for Mac. I use Quicksilver because I'm old. I think Alfred is the newfangled version. And it lets you tie global hotkeys to apps um, on your desktop so that you don't have to use command tab to switch between apps or going between screens or zones or whatever they're called on Mac. You can just switch directly to the app you have in mind. So I have command option one tied to Chrome, two tied to WebStorm, three to Terminal, etc. You don't realize how much switching between contexts on your desktop clutters your brain until you completely remove that need. So use Quicksilver or Alfred to switch between apps directly. And then Chuck, you were talking about making money via open source. How about RPG is a commercial product and it's completely open source And there's tons of ways to to do that intelligently. There's a book called Intellectual Property and Open Source, A Practical Guide to Protecting Code. And it's all about commercializing your open source products and protecting yourself in so doing, including your IP. So that's a good read if you're interested in having an open source company. And that's it.
0: Cool. Well, I need to get some people to add me to their uh, parties on Habit RPG so that I can go join some quests. Because... uh, (laughs)
4: i have social phobia so i don't participate in those on habit rpg oh that's
2: the best way to build habits so one of the cool things is you fight these bosses and if you don't do your habits the boss hits everyone so it's your fault that everyone got hurt
4: oh ouch. and it's, it's oh, so
2: good it's so effective at preventing you from like smoking or going not going to the gym or something
4: you're saying i can actually be a social miscreant this way <laughs>
2: yes you can be a bad guy
4: <laughs> Joe, you can't be my friend on Habit RPG. <laughs> I'm gonna join your party and then do
1: nothing just to kill you.
0: <laughs> Alright, oh. well I think that's pretty much all we've got, so we'll wrap up the show. Thanks for coming guys. Thanks
3: for having
1: us. Yeah, thanks for having me.
3: It's fun.
0: <laughs> Alright, well we'll uh we'll catch y'all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at Mad Glory. This episode is sponsored by Raygon.io. If at any point your application is crashing, what would that cost you? Lost users? Customers? Revenue? Raygun is an essential tool for every developer. Raygun takes minutes to integrate, and you'll be notified of your software bugs as they happen with automatic notifications, a full stack trace to detect, diagnose, and fix errors in record time. Raygun works with all major mobile and web programming languages in a matter of minutes. Try it for free today at raygun.io. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.